In the late uh, 1960s, probably 1968, 69, uh, Frank Sinatra, some of you know that name, some of you are clueless, I get that, but uh, Frank Sinatra uh, made, made popular a song titled, My Way. Remember that song? It was something of, a, of an ode to self-sufficiency and self-governance. And I want to read a part of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Regrets. I've had a few. But then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do. I saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. <clears throat> yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, that I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all and I stood tall and did it my way. Last week, we began our study of the book of Esther, where we learned a few things about this book. It's the only book in the Bible where God is not mentioned. God is not mentioned even once. In fact, no one in the book is recorded seeking God or appealing to Him for guidance or help. There are no calls for worship, no mention of faith, no counsel from a prophet, and there are no reports of miracles. And maybe, <clears throat> just maybe, none of these things are mentioned in Esther because God's people a remnant who lived in Persia had become so influenced by their culture that they lived as if God really didn't matter. Instead, just like in the song, they did it their way. That could very well be the case. But in spite of that, in the end, we will find that God will still have His way. Now, as we first <clears throat> dived into this story last week, we were introduced to Ahasuerus, who was also known as Xerxes to the Greeks. Ahasuerus was the king of Persia, a very powerful king, a working king who had built a great empire. 
the greatest the world had ever seen. Ahasuerus apparently had a lot of stuff. And he liked to show it off. And throwing a big party was an opportunity to show off. During one such party, a seven-day party, the king gathers everyone in the palace, both great and small, to celebrate. At this party, there was an open bar. And the men were getting smashed. To include the king. And on the last day of this party, according to Jewish history, in order to settle an argument as to which country had the most beautiful women, the king commands that his wife, Queen Vashti, be brought out and paraded before the drunken men. Well, to the surprise of everyone, she refuses. She publicly defies the king's command. It's an embarrassing scandal for the king. The king looks bad, and he gets really mad. And under the advice of his counselors, who were also probably drunk at the time, as a consequence, Vashti is removed from her role as queen. And that brings us to Esther chapter 2. But before we go there, I need to set it up. Okay? King Ahasuerus wanted to conquer Greece to avenge his father's defeat years earlier. And so with careful planning with his civic leaders and the military commanders, he prepares for the invasion by amassing a huge army of over 200,000 soldiers, some say a million soldiers, and he has a naval fleet of about 1,200 ships. So as planned, Ahasuerus invades Greece. But things didn't go as planned. The boxer Mike Tyson once said, Everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. Ahasuerus had a plan. But apparently, he underestimated the fighting skill and the fighting strategy and the fighting spirit of the Spartans. As an example of this, think of the famous battle of Thermopylae where the Greeks found themselves overwhelmed by the Persians. So King Leonidas and 300 Spartan warriors and a few others who joined them held off the Persians at a narrow pass for a few days so the bulk of the Greek army could escape and regroup. Remember the movie The 300? That's what that's about. Then there was the Battle of Salamis, where the Persian navy suffered their own horrible defeat. Now, Ahasuerus did have some success. 
And he was able to march into Athens and set the city on fire. But eventually he suffered the same fate as his father. And he had to return to Persia in defeat and disgrace. So, maybe three years have passed between chapter 1 and chapter 2. Okay? Three years between chapter 1 and chapter 2. And with that in mind, let's pick up the story in Esther chapter 2, verse 1. After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. After these things, after his failed invasion of Greece, after his defeat, after his return to the palace in Susa, Ahasuerus needs comfort. He needs someone who understands him. He needs someone who cares for him and his feelings. The king needs a hug. And he remembered Vashti. The queen he had kicked to the curb for defying his drunken command. Yes, the king had a harem of beautiful women at his disposal. But he misses Vashti, his special gal. The anger he once had towards her is now gone. He wishes he could go back and change things. But he can't. He had made a decree against her. And according to Persian law, he can't take it back. What's done is done. The king is sulking. He's moping around the palace in depression. And those closest to him see it. And they devise a plan to cheer him up. Let's read on beginning with verse 2. Then the king's attendants who served him said, Let beautiful women, excuse me, beautiful young virgins be sought for the king. Let the king appoint overseers in all the providences of his kingdom that they may gather every beautiful young virgin to the citadel of Susa to the harem in the custody of Hege, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let their cosmetics be given to them. Then let the young lady who pleases the king be queen in place of Vashti. And the matter pleased the king, and he did Accordingly. So here's the plan. Let's have a Miss Persian beauty pageant. Let's search for the most beautiful young virgins in the empire. Let's round them all up. Gather them together in a harem. And put them under the charge of Hegei. And the lucky one who pleases the king, and that's the goal here, okay, that's the goal, whoever pleases the king 
she wins the contest. And she will become the new queen. Now in verse 3, it is explained how this will be carried out. The king would appoint overseers throughout the empire. Talent scouts. That's what they are. They're talent scouts. And they would search out these young women for the king's pleasure. These young women would have no choice, no consent, and no control in the matter. If a talent scout liked what he saw, the young woman was drafted, taken into custody, and it was off to the palace in Susa she would go. This plan was offered with the sole purpose of pleasing King Ahasuerus. And on the surface, this is hard to stomach. But we must not forget that God is still in control here and is actively working behind the scenes, or said a little differently, He is working behind what is seen. Working behind what is seen. God foresees all things. And because of that special foreknowledge, somehow, some way, He skillfully weaves the free will choices and the actions and the events of people, good or bad, right or wrong, to bring about His own divine purpose. Remember, as I said last week, in this story, we are looking at the backside of a tapestry. We're looking at the backside of a tapestry. The front side is a masterpiece, as we will see later. But for now, what we see is the backside. A knotted and tangled and confusing mess made by people, not God. Okay, so let's continue beginning with verse 5. Now there was at the citadel in Susa a Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Yair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the captives who had been exiled with Yekinyah, the king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had exiled. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had no father or mother. Now the young lady was beautiful of form and face, and when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. In this passage, we are introduced to a man named Mordecai a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin, a descendant of Kish. We're told that Mordecai's family, probably referring to his great-grandparents, had been exiled from Judah by the Babylonians long, long ago. 
And like so many of the Jews, they did not return to the promised land when they were given an opportunity. So that tells us Mordecai has been raised in a foreign land all his life. And this is equally true for his younger cousin, Hadassah. Hadassah is her Jewish name, which means myrtle. But her Persian name is Esther, which means star. This is the first mention of Esther. And we quickly learn that she was an orphan because her parents had died and her older cousin, Mordecai, was now raising her as his own daughter. And secondly, we are told that Esther was a beautiful young woman in both form and face. Meaning she was beautiful from head to toe. Now at this point, neither Mordecai nor Esther have any knowledge of this Miss Persia beauty pageant. Esther is just living out her normal days in Susa. And then the unexpected happens. Let's pick up beginning with verse 8. So then it came about when the command and the decree of the king were heard And many young ladies were gathered to the citadel of Susa into the custody of Haggai that Esther was taken to the king's palace into the custody of Haggai who was in charge of the women. Now the young lady pleased him and found favor with him. So he quickly provided her with cosmetics and food gave her seven choice maids from the king's palace and transferred her and her maids to the best place in the harem. With no choice, no consent, and no control in the matter, Esther was taken into custody and drafted with many other women into the king's harem by these talent scouts. Jewish historian Josephus claimed there were actually 400 who were taken to the king's palace against their will, where for a full year these women were sequestered And required to prepare themselves to please the king. We are told that amongst all these 400 beautiful women, Esther stood out to Hagen, the eunuch in charge of the harem. She found favor with him, which literally means... She lifted up grace before his face. That's what that means. She lifted up grace before his face. And as a result, she was immediately given special beauty preparations and she was provided with seven maids to look after her beauty needs and treatments, and she was given the best place, the best apartment in the harem. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, this whole situation seems very similar to the story of Joseph. If you remember way back in Genesis... Against his will, Joseph was taken captive into Egypt and became a servant in Potiphar's house, where he found favor 
and quickly became the head servant. Then Joseph was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He was sent to prison, where again he found favor from all who interacted with him. And he gained status even in prison. Eventually, Joseph became the second in command of all of Egypt, and he saved Israel from drought, from the drought and starvation. Like Joseph, Esther was taken against her will. But she found favor with those who were placed over her. She lifted up grace before his face and she prospers despite her circumstances. Now, in the next few verses, we learn that Esther has a secret to keep. Beginning with verse 10, we are told, Esther did not make known her people or her kindred. For Mordecai had instructed that she should not make them known. Every day, Mordecai walked back and forth in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and how she fared. Esther tells no one she is a Jew. Because Mordecai told her to keep that fact hidden. We are not told why. But maybe Mordecai had a better understanding of the times they were living in. Or maybe he recognized the resentment that was brewing towards the Jews. Or maybe it was something entirely different. But whatever the reason, Esther was told to keep her family background a secret. And I think we can also conclude that Esther did not practice her Jewish faith. Otherwise, that would have given her away as well. So Esther obeyed Mordecai. And obviously, Mordecai was concerned for her safety. For we are told that day after day, he paced back and forth in front of the place where she was housed to learn what was happening to her and how she was doing. And how was she doing? Well, the next several verses tells us beginning with verse 12. Now, when the turn of each young lady came to go into King Ahasuerus, after the end of the 12 months under the regulations for the women, for the days of their beautification were completed as follows. Six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and the cosmetics for women, the young lady would go into the king in this way. Anything that she desired was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go in. And in the morning, she would return to the second harem, to the custody of, what was the tough one? Shahashgaz. Shahashgaz, excuse me. The king's unit who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go in again to the king unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. Okay, there's a lot here. Persia was one of the countries famous for its perfumes and ancient customs for preparations of brides, including ritualistic baths 
plucking of the eyebrows, manicures, pedicures, painting of the hands and the feet, facial makeup, and applications of a, of a beautifying paste all over the body that was meant to lighten the skin and to remove spots and blemishes. For six months, it was treatments with oil of myrrh, which supposedly softens and smooths the skin. And then after that, it was another six months of being rubbed with spices and cosmetics. That's a full year of beauty treatments. But there was another reason for this lengthy period of time. It would reveal if any of the women were pregnant when they were brought into the harem. There's a year period of time there. So these women were given, this might sound good, these women were given constant spa treatments for a year. No job, no cooking, no washing, no ironing, no errands, no responsibility other than to look and smell as good as possible. They were pampered, provided with the finest of clothing and jewelry, likely given courses in proper etiquette so as to appear and act like royalty. And all for the purpose of satisfying the pleasures of the king. We are told that when the year was over, okay, when the year was over, each woman would allow this king to take advantage of her during a one-night stand. Okay? This Miss Persia beauty pageant had turned into a sex contest. And the king was the judge. The king would sleep with them one by one. And in the end, the winner would become the queen. While the rest of the women would be banished to another harem of concubines where they remained as second-class wives of the king. Essentially, they would remain as unloved women, never free to marry another, never to have a family of their own. That was the destiny of those who lost this beauty pageant. Now, at some point, it was Esther's turn. And this is what we are told beginning with verse 15. Now, when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter, came to go into the king. She did not request anything except what Hagei, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the women, advised. And Esther found favor in the eyes of all who saw her. So Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus 
to his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than all the women, and she found favor and kindness with him more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a banquet, Esther's banquet, for all the princes and his servants. And he also made a holiday for the provinces and gave gifts according to the king's bounty. I want to be careful as I, as I tackle this passage because I don't want to say something that's not being said. Okay? We are told Esther is taken to the king. It's her turn now. But we are not told what she said. And we are not told what she may have done when she spent the night with the king. We are told, like all the other women, she could have taken anything she wanted with her to seduce and entice the king. She could have taken anything with her to use to her advantage to win the contest. But Esther only took with her what Hege recommended she take. So it would appear that Esther approaches the situation differently. And she found favor in the eyes of all who saw her to include the king. Ahasuerus loved her more than all the others. And she found kindness with him. Esther, an orphaned child of Jewish exiles, raised by her older cousin, taken against her will and placed in a harem to please a pagan king, is publicly crowned by the king as the new queen of Persia. What a great story thus far. When Esther was drafted into the king's harem for the king's pleasure, she had no idea what the future held for her. No idea. Esther no longer had plans of her own. How could she? But God had a plan for her. And unbeknownst to Esther, she was right in the middle of God's plan to deliver His people. God's people would be in danger. It's coming. 
But before the danger ever materialized, the invisible hand of God was already at work with a solution. Esther. Esther had a place in God's plan. And in the same way, know it or not, believe it or not, we too have a place in His plan. In the opening pages of his autobiography, An American Life, Ronald Reagan writes, I was raised to believe that God had a plan for everyone and that seemingly random twists of fate are all part of His plan. My mother, a small woman with auburn hair and a sense of optimism that ran as deep as the cosmos told me that everything in life happened for a purpose. She said, all things were part of God's plan, even the most disheartening setbacks. And in the end, everything worked out for the best. If something went wrong, she said, You didn't let it get you down. You stepped away from it, stepped over it, and moved on. Later on, she added, something good will happen and you'll find yourself thinking. If I hadn't had that problem back then, then this better thing that did happen wouldn't have happened to me. Then he says, After I lost the job at Montgomery Ward, I left home again in search of work. Although I didn't know it then, I was beginning a journey that would take me a long way from Dixon and fulfill all my dreams. And then some. My mother, as usual, was right. God has a plan. And you and I are in it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time in your word. I thank you for Esther. I thank you that we see your hand all through this. Even though you're not even mentioned, you are clearly seen. I thank you that you desire the very best for us. Sometimes we might disagree. But Father, we know you see it all. Nothing is hidden from you. You have a bigger picture. And that you ask us to trust you. Even when it's hard. Help us to do so, Lord. May you be honored and glorified. Help us, Lord, to be a people who are passionate for you and about you. Give us, Father, a desire to follow you. Give us a love for you. Help us to be surrendered to you and to live our lives for you. May you be honored and glorified, Lord, in us and through us. Thank you for who you are and what you do. 
In Jesus' name. Amen. I was wondering this morning, what would Esther have to say to you if she was standing right here? What would she say to us? Maybe she would recount how terrifying it was to her when she was snatched up and taken to a harem. Maybe she had plans for her life. I'm sure she did. She had certain expectations of how things were going to work out for her. And then life happened. The unexpected happened. And she was taken into custody. Placed in a harem with a bunch of other women. For the sole purpose of pleasing a pagan king. Can you imagine? I'm sure she would tell you, I didn't understand what was happening to me. I didn't understand. This made no sense. It didn't seem fair. It wasn't fair what was happening to me. Maybe she saw her beauty as a curse. Who knows? But what happened to her surely wasn't wanted. No way. And here she is. I'm sure she had the questions. God, where are you? Why don't you do something? I thought you had my back. I thought you were for me, not against me. Right? And here she is in a harem. Against her will. No voice. No didn't mean no back then. No voice. And here she is. No idea at the time that she would save her people. God would use her to save her people. And remember, King Ahasuerus also had control of the promised land. He had it all. They were all in danger. All of them were in danger. Esther had no idea what God was doing. And she was smack dab in the middle of it and had no idea. We have no idea. We have no idea what's at stake for us either, do we? The Lord just asks us to trust Him and obey Him. Moment by moment, step by step, day by day. We do not know what's at stake. But I know God's at work. He's always at work. He's doing something. He is doing something. And we have to trust Him. Even when it's hard. Especially when it's hard. Maybe you're here this morning and, man, maybe you feel like Esther. I have no control of anything. 
My life is complete chaos. It looks like the backside of a tapestry. It's full of knots and loose ends and frayed edges. That's what my life looks like. That's all I see. And I'm here to tell you, on the other side, the front side, is the masterpiece. You can trust him. Maybe you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I would love to introduce you to him. Maybe you're looking for a church home. A group you can call family. Whatever the case may be. As the Lord moves you, I just asked in obedience you respond to him. Maybe you want somebody to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. However the Lord moves you, just respond. Thank you for coming uh, this morning. I'd like to uh, pray for our, our offering, just to remind you, what happened to our offering baskets? There's one over there. I don't see one. It's back there. Okay. I'm on the side there. And then also pray for our our fellowship uh, afterwards. And uh, also, if you, if you do leave, just to remind you, if you would be so kind to take a couple racks of barbecue ribs, uh, that would be awesome. And and uh, get those prepared for next week. Uh, that would be that would be appreciated. So let me pray. Father, I, I uh, thank you so much for drawing us here uh, this morning. I pray, Lord God, that uh, your word was a blessing. And Lord, I just pray that it would continue just to, to permeate. And, and we would, we would kind of come to that place, Lord God, where we would, we would come to trust you and, and obey you, uh, even when the circumstances are not favorable. Uh, Lord, I just thank you so much for just the truth found in your word. Father, uh, I just pray you'd bless our offering this morning, and Lord, bless those who give, and, and help us, Father, as a church, to use your money wisely. And then, Father, for our fellowship as well, uh, Father, uh, bless those who brought and prepared food, and, and bless us as, Father, as we partake of it. Uh, Lord, I pray for our fellowship, and it would just be sweet and, and productive and beneficial. Uh, Lord, I thank you for who you are and what you do, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.